0: Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by Jamie Broadley, the Group Head of Health and Wellbeing at Circo and the former Staff Wellbeing Lead at NHS Derbyshire. Today we're going to be discussing all topics workplace health, including how far can the workplace go to support their people's wellbeing, the way through to how do you develop psychologically safe workplaces i even threw in a couple of really tricky questions for jamie and he answered them extremely well welcome to the podcast welcome jamie thanks a lot for having me good to see you you well yeah really good to see you as well um so how's the the new role going at the moment at circo
1: really exciting obviously um plenty to uh plenty to learn and still getting my feet under the table but um yeah plenty to get stuck into.
0: Fantastic, and you've obviously had the last couple of years. You've worked in uh, NHS Derbyshire for a while. The last couple of years must have been extremely tricky with everything that coronavirus uh, threw at you um, and at the team. How did you overcome that as a wellbeing lead and um, and as a wellbeing team?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think to be honest, I don't think we did overcome it. I think it was it was just about kind of managing and and doing doing the best that uh, you could do in the circumstances. And certainly, I. Kind of stay connected with um, with old colleagues and friends that are still in the NHS at the minute, and it isn't getting any easier, and, and if anything, getting getting harder as this continues, um, and the challenges uh, remain. So, I think in any circumstances like the the ones that we've been through, it is just about kind of doing what you can do, controlling the controllables, doing your best, and um, and then managing the uh, uh, those things that are, are outside of the control. So the things that we found to be really important are just simplifying the approaches and really humanizing them. So simple little bits like check-ins at the start of team meetings, they punched massively above their weight in terms of a well-being intervention of just getting around and going, like, where are we at today? Whether it be putting up a, a which sheep are you today image, mm-hmm. or whether it be doing something a, a little more cerebral around kind of like what's feeling light? what's feeling heavy, where's your head at, where's your heart at, those sort of coaching questions. Um, that allowed a way into conversations that people were desperate to have, but perhaps didn't feel they had the, um, the space or opportunity to um, to discuss. And and then a lot of other stuff flowed from there. So um, that's a, a waffly answer for you. But I think simple, uh, simple is king when it comes to um, when it comes to some of that.
0: And it's so easy to overcomplicate it at the moment, isn't it, um, in terms of all of the different areas of well-being, all of the different unique wants, needs that, that people are facing. But quite simply, that check-in seems absolutely integral from the research and from, from what you're saying. Can you share a little bit more about the sheep check-in um, just to our listeners? Yes. I absolutely love it. I've seen one from Ross from Friends as well. If you could just explain that, that would be excellent
1: yeah of course it uh, it requires a bit of context that doesn't it so i think mean, if anyone's listening to this and and i'm wondering i'd just advise them to go and, and google which animal are you today check in and you'll get um, a lot of different variations so effectively they're all just animals pulling different faces with numbers against them and then when you're on teams or whether you're in person you can then just go around and say well which of these best represents how you're arriving today or, or where you feel you're at um and what we found is that that gets through that barrier of if I was to to jump on this call with you today and go how are you Harry you'd probably say fine or right. some variation of that and and dead bat it back to me um, asking twice is is often uh, one of the ways uh, ways that you can get through that uh, but we found those visual check-ins allowed people a, a permission to to actually show a bit of vulnerability and and allow us into that uh, kind of human experience uh, in a way that is perhaps harder through, uh, through other means. So yeah, the Ross and friends one's one of my favorites, although I think that's probably uh, kind of a bit age group specific. So, uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to go and have a Google around and certainly, uh, share with us on, uh, on socials and LinkedIn, any good ones that they find.
0: And we, we trialled it at Champion Health after you suggested it, and we absolutely loved it. Um, so we'll make sure we use that on some of our, our LinkedIn posts going forwards for our audience as well. That's and you mentioned fucking. vulnerability being crucial, and you talk about Brené Brown frequently whenever we've got yes. together. And I've read so much of her stuff, and it is just it makes so much sense um, around that psychological safety piece. What does psychological safety mean to you and to Circo and when you're working at NHS Derbyshire? Um, because it's something that I've seen you leading the way if I'm being quite honest.
1: I, I, I really appreciate that and uh, yeah I, I think again it's going back to that let's just make it simple it's one of these terms which has become part of the, the vernacular in well-being um, over the past few uh, few months and ultimately it just means do I feel safe enough to show some of myself and to be human and to be authentic with how I'm experiencing things at the minute and that is a, that's a simple statement. It's quite complicated to achieve that. And there's a plenty of barriers in the way. So I think some of the, the key things that are role modeling. So this is something which factors into kind of a feature, sorry, in every well-being strategy or every good one, at least of leaders role modeling the behaviors that they they want to see elsewhere. So things like in the NHS, we use Schwartz rounds as opportunities for safe spaces where people can come together and discuss and share difficult and emotional experiences that they might have um, have had in the course of their work and when you see a chief exec or a medical director or someone like that say actually I experienced this and I found this difficult if you're sat there thinking well I've had the same experiences it reduces those hierarchies it, it gives that permission for you to then put your hand up and say I'm finding things hard today and it's that barrier which then enables us to access services that are there to support us and have um, follow-up conversations that, that gets us on that path to, to better well-being without that psychological safety we we will just sit in our own experience and not feel comfortable enough to, to engage in those other things that are around us so yeah if one place to start would be leadership role modeling There's obviously an entire kind of podcast series we we can do on this. And I'm sure we can point people back to the the other conversations we've had in the past on it, too.
0: Yeah. And we did have a live event on um, psychologically safe workplaces, which Jamie spoke at. um, And you just have to go on the insights page of our website to find that. Going forward, it was probably one of the best live sessions we put on, if if I'm honest, from a selfish angle of learning so much within there. So, you mentioned vulnerability and permission being absolutely crucial when it comes to psychological safety. Is there anything else that we need to consider in our wellbeing strategies if we're an employee or actually if we're a wellbeing lead? What else can we do to create those safe spaces around us? I think part of this is making it
1: really accessible um, so that it isn't wrapped up in terminology that feels scary. So, if I'm new to well-being if i don't work in that space uh, if i don't work in hr or some of those yeah. other um, areas then terms like psychological safety are going to be kind of they're going to be quite daunting for me so it's about putting that in day-to-day plain english humanizing that so like having those uh those basic day-to-day conversations around well how are you doing is there anything we can do what does a good day look like what does a bad day look like like if you're having a bad day what can we do about that how can you feel comfortable to talk to me yeah. um so, those kind of questions and a really simple way of, of kind of operationalizing that is things like wellness action plans. So, um, and then previous uh, roles we've developed our own. I think if anyone's new to that, Mind have a really good template that, um, that anyone can use. So, encourage you to go and kind of have a look at that. And that's something that you can then embed within that day to day operational process, which uses really simple language and encourages people to have those conversations about things which. They might, not otherwise, um, they might not otherwise feel comfortable to do. So, um, yeah, I think um, that's another another good place to start.
0: Excellent. It's packed full of resources, which we love, um, and actions off the back of it. I'm going to ask quite a tricky question here, and it's something that I've been pondering a lot uh, in the role that I'm in at Champion Health and, and consulting and supporting organisations and building robust and evidence-based strategies, that I found a lot of organisations are looking to promote self-care. And so pushing mindfulness resources all the way through to learning and development exercise classes, for instance, to their team. But is collective responsibility more important or as important as promoting self-care? And could it actually fall down if we promote self-care without that collective responsibility and that organisational awareness as well?
1: Yeah, it's. I think this is the key question that's at the heart of all of our um, discussions and, and strategies around wellbeing at the minute. And the, the way that I try and simplify it for my simple mind is that kind of job demands resource model. So that seesaw of what are the demands on one side versus what are my personal resources on, on the other. And I think the danger and the kind of the, the line that we've been going down with well-being certainly pre-pandemic, hopefully pandemics change, this is to individualise well-being so that if I'm struggling for whatever reason, then that's on me, that's my lack of resilience or lack of resources, whatever that might be. Whereas actually, there's a whole system that sits around that. And so you, you can look at this, and some really interesting research that uh, we did during the um, pandemic looked at what were some of the biggest drivers of absence for all reasons through uh, COVID. And the factor that came up top there was postcode deprivation score. So if you live in a poorer area, then we know that your access to healthcare is going to be challenged, your health literacy. So seen examples of uh, physios talking about where um, they'd been out to see someone with back pain, and they thought they'd caught it from their mum because they'd also had back pain, and um, because there was that wasn't that understanding, that education about health. So. You can put on exercise classes and webinars and things for populations like that, but it's, it's not going to land, it's not going not to resonate. So there's this whole kind of cultural and societal web that sits around it and that that public health lens is, is a really helpful way of, of starting to understand that. Obviously, then taking that back to the, an organisational context, it's difficult to do yeah. a huge um, amount of, uh, of actual activity with that. One of the ways in which i think about it is imagine for every 10 pounds we're giving to one of our employees how do we make that go as far as possible Um, and whilst this is potentially a politicized term i think leveling people up and giving them those opportunities that if you're going to work for us that's going to create opportunities outside of work which you wouldn't have otherwise had access to i think that starts to touch on some of those public health factors which address those wider needs whilst also then still offering the individual stuff because we all need to look after our resilience we all need to look after our our day-to-day well-being and all the factors that um that feed into that so hopefully that made some sense a complicated answer to a complicated question
0: it's a very complicated question it's, it's one that's quite deep for a 12-minute conversation but I've got one final deep question and this is something that from a really selfish angle I just want to hear your thoughts on in all honesty Jamie in that Workplace health is getting worse, but there are more well-being providers than there have ever been. Is there only so far that we can go in terms of workplace health? Because if I look at social media, for example, there are things that we can't really control in the workplace. And that's increasing with the likes of TikTok, Instagram, all the way through to Facebook and that usage. There's more access to takeaways and fast food than we've ever seen previously with the likes of delivery and just eat and it, it can be on your doorstep in 10 minutes so how far can we actually go with workplace health? because surely there's a societal issue as well that we can't really control in our roles
1: yeah yeah and i think that's the that's the big challenge of this is that as a reference in previous answer a lot of this sits in that public health realm and that is completely outside of our control in most instances and is very slow moving so yeah sweeping change uh is uh, is unlikely to happen in this area anytime soon so it's about then distilling down well what are the controllables and a lot of that sits on on a workplace context i think the opportunity within this is that as a result of the pandemic we've moved from that kind of work-life balance into what most people now have as a as a work-life blend and there's a caveat there that there's an awful lot of people who don't have that because they're on site and have been ever since the start of it. and it's really important that we don't forget those in, in these discussions but even for them technology is having an impact and that's where this kind of move between well what's available for you in the workplace versus what can the workplace make available for you at home and supporting that transition between the two. I think that's going to be an area of, of continued growth there is a lot of noise in this space at the minute though obviously off the back of the um the the pandemic there's um there's been plenty of, of new uh faces in the uh, the field and i'm sure over the uh the course of the next couple of years there'll be a, a washer in terms of those quality services those quality companies that are working with organizations will um, will come out on on top uh, addressing the the actual needs and um not trying to uh yeah to, to profiteer off the uh, the back of some of this
0: yeah and i could listen to you for 12 hours jamie um unfortunately we've got 12 minutes with this specific podcast but as jamie mentioned there is the psychologically safe webinar that we delivered that's recorded i'd just like to say a huge thank you for all the work that you're doing jamie you've done with the nhs and also for joining us today on the podcast my pleasure
1: likewise back at you keep up the good work it's uh, it's great to watch the developments as they happen
0: For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.